Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a four-week Christmas series leading up to the birth of Jesus in which we are looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. Thanks again for joining us. Well, it's good to see all of you this morning. And uh, my name is Steve. And I remember this uh, time of year when I was young. And one of the things I have fondest memories of when I was a child was every night my dad would actually come into my room when I was going to bed, and uh, he would usually share a story with me before I'd go to bed about the time that he grew up on the farm. I loved hearing his farm stories. He told me about his horses or his dogs, or there, there was this particular bull that was always causing havoc, and I loved hearing those different stories. But one night when he came into my room, and I remember it as clear as day, I was seven years old, he came into my room, and he asked me if I was ready. And for some reason, I knew he wasn't asking me that night for another farm story. He was asking me if I was ready to act upon all the things that both he and my mom had talked to me about when it came to Jesus and who he was and what it meant to receive him and accept him. I can't explain it to you other than there was just this prompting of my heart or like Jeff likes to say across the ticker of my mind, I knew that this was the night that I was going to ask Christ into my heart. And sure enough, that's exactly what I did with the help of my dad that night. I don't know if you've had experiences like that, but I'm sharing that story because this morning we are continuing our four-week series. It's the last week of the series leading up to Christmas called The Spirit of Christmas. And we're talking about how the Holy Spirit worked around the time of Christmas and still works in our lives still today. Now, if you haven't been with us in this series, we've been looking at different Bible stories around the Christmas story where the Spirit is present and at work. And the reason we're doing this, let me just remind you one more time. You can see this up on the screen here. Here's why we've been doing this for four weeks. In this Advent season, we see how the Holy Spirit was actively involved in preparing people for Jesus' first arrival and how he can help us prepare for Jesus' second arrival. And so this morning, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit prepared a person named Simeon to encounter Jesus and how Simeon responded to that encounter with Jesus. At the same time, my hope is today that we will see the Holy Spirit is still at work right here in our midst now today, right now during this Christmas season, and we have the opportunity to respond to his work in the same way that Simeon did. And so here's the question I'd love for us to consider together this morning, if you're following along on your message notes with me. How does the Holy Spirit work in this world to reveal Christ? That's really what I want to talk about. How is the Holy Spirit at work in this world preparing us in revealing Christ to us? Just like he was actively involved in that first Christmas, he's actively involved today in this Christmas. So let me invite you to take your Bible and turn it to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And we're going to be looking at Simeon's story together. We like saying this every week. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some in the seats underneath you there, those black books there. We'd love for you to grab one of those out, and you can find Luke 2, 22 on page 832 of those black Bibles. And since it is the time of Christmas, we say this often. I want to say it again today. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that home with you as our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So if you'd like that, please take that with you today. Now, why don't we bow our heads and pray for God to open up his word to us this morning. Lord, we don't want to just talk about things. We want to experience things. And so we don't want to just talk about the Holy Spirit. We want to experience him in our midst this morning. Only he can open up our eyes and our hearts. Only he can open up the word of God for us to understand it and to equip us. And so that's exactly what we're asking this morning. 
just as you were actively involved in the first Christmas, would you be involved this Christmas, including this morning as we open up your word? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're actually going to start at verse 22. This is before Simeon because I want you to get a little bit of a background to this story. Now, just to be clear, Jesus has been born at this point. Uh, So this takes place soon after that. But look at Luke 2, starting in verse 22. It says, When the time for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now you're asking, why in the world are we reading this? Why would Luke even include this in the Christmas story? I think it's important because what he wants us to see is that even at the very beginning of his life, Jesus was dedicated to fulfilling every single detail of the law, even as a baby. Here we see his parents fulfilling the requirements of the Old Testament law, which said that every person who had given birth to a, to a child was to attend the temple, and they were to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the woman and also on behalf of that child to God. And so we see here Jesus' parents offering this sacrifice. We're told they offer a sacrifice of two doves, which would have been the offering of a poorer people. Now, the journey Jesus take there combined three separate ceremonies, and they do all of them. And I want to just ask, why would it be important for Luke to show us Jesus doing these three things with his parents? I think it's important because he wants us to see this is all part of God's grander story. From the very beginning in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, God had a plan for our redemption, and his plan is Jesus. That's what we celebrate together today. And Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so even as a baby, here he is fulfilling the law. One of the things I'm excited about is beginning next year, the very first week in January, we're actually starting a new series looking at the whole story of the Bible. I think so often when people take the Bible, they look at it and go, well, this is just a bunch of disconnected stories when the reality is it's all one big story. And it's all pointing to Christ. And part of what we're seeing here in this story is his parents understand. Jesus understands. He has come to fulfill God's redemptive story. Now that leads us to our introduction to Simeon, which starts in verse 25. Would you read that out loud on your notes with me there? It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. We learn a lot about Simeon in just that one verse here. I think actually we learn three important things I'd like to point out to you. First, we see that he is righteous and devout, which if you're following on your notes there, just means that Simeon is a faithful man of God. Simeon is a faithful man of God. To call somebody righteous and devout was terminology often used in the Old Testament to describe a person who had the heart of God for justice. He cared about the poor and the lowly and the outcast, but also somebody who was devoted to following God's commands in the word of God. It's the kind of person that Micah describes in Micah 6, 8, this familiar text which says, he has shown you, O mortal or man, What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's the kind of person we're talking about here when it comes to Simeon. Now from the context, it seems that Simeon is probably pretty old at this point. And so what we have to understand is he is a person who has kept the faith. 
He has fought the good fight. He has endured decade after decade. Why is that noteworthy? Because as we've said all throughout this series, this was a dark time in Israel's history. There had been no new word from God for over 400 years. And I got to tell you, that's a long time. Many people had given up hope by this point. Many people thought God would never fulfill his promise. But not Simeon. Although his body is failing, his spirit grows stronger and stronger by the year because the hope that is in him is greater than the hopelessness around him. Simeon is one of these guys that we should respect and admire. He is a person who sees his faith through to the end. As I was preparing for this message this week, I think about so many of the faces in this church family. Chuck talked about it, how we're a multi-generational church. It's one of the things I love about being a part of Cherry Hills. And I just think we have so many Simeons to look up to in this church body. And I'm grateful for it. People who have fought the good fight who have gone through hardships and difficulty but have not lost their hope. Can you picture some of those people even right now as I'm saying this? On behalf of all of us, I just want to say if that's you, we want to say thank you. Thank you for setting an example of what it looks like to be faithful even in the face of difficulty and hardship. Second thing we see is that Simeon is filled with the Holy Spirit. As it said, the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, Jeff talked about this last week, if you were here, when it comes to Elizabeth, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we learned, means to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It means to give the Holy Spirit control of your life. And so like Elizabeth, Simeon has given his life to God as an offering. And so the Holy Spirit is upon him. We also see that the Holy Spirit has given him a special revelation. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, what I really wish it said there is how he got that revelation, don't you? What did that look like? Was it an audible voice God told him? Was it a prompting? Was it the ticker across his mind as Jeff talks about? I'm not exactly sure how that worked, but I'm sure if you are a follower of Jesus, you have had experiences like this. Not too long ago, I was visiting a nursing home here in town. I was visiting somebody in our church, and I went, and I visited, and I prayed, and I was walking out to my car, job done, ready to move on to the next thing, when I just can't explain it other than there was a prompting of the Holy Spirit that told me to stop and talk to this woman who was sitting in the hallway in her wheelchair. Now, I'd love to say 10 times out of 10, I listen to that prompting, but I don't. But on this particular day, I did. And I'd love to tell you there were fireworks and it was mystical and I can't believe, no. It was just a simple act of obedience where I paused and I listened to the Spirit's voice and hopefully I was able to encourage that woman. Have you ever had moments like that? Not necessarily an audible voice, but you know God is leading you and directing you to say something, to go somewhere, to do something. We don't know how that happened in Simeon's life. All we know is he was filled with the Spirit, and God privately told him somehow that he would not die until he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. And that leads us to the third thing to note about Simeon here, if you're on your notes. He was waiting with expectancy for God to fulfill his promise. He was waiting with expectancy for God to fulfill his promise. Simeon, like Zechariah and Mary, is expectant that God will deliver the people he had promised to deliver. 
that God would do what he said he would do from the very beginning of God's story. He is one of those people who has not given up hope even in the darkest of times. Do you know people like this? That phrase, the consolation of Israel, do you see that there? We sang about it earlier in our, in, when we were singing together. What does that mean? Well, it just means console. A time of consoling is coming. It was used in the Old Testament to give people hope. Messiah would come one day. He would wipe away every tear. He would return the people from exile. He would lift the burden that they were experiencing under the tyranny of these foreign rulers. The people of Israel were waiting for the consolation, and Simeon was told how amazing that he would not experience death until that promise was fulfilled. He would get to see God's promised redemption with his own eyes. Now, here's what I want us to note, because maybe it's easy to skip by this. We have no idea how long he had to wait. Most people believe from the context here that he'd been waiting quite a while. So imagine this, day after day, month after month, year after year, Simeon is waiting for Christmas. I know we have some kids in here this morning. Can you imagine not knowing when Christmas Day actually is coming? It would be torture. And yet he watched and he waited. I wonder, putting myself in his shoes, if he went to the temple every day. And he would sit there and he'd watch these couples bringing in their sons, asking God, is this the one? Is this the one? Each day, expectant, wondering, is today the day I'm going to meet the Lord's Messiah? He watched and he waited and he prayed. He waited for Christmas every single day. It's hard for us to imagine this kind of waiting, isn't it? Have any of you ever heard of the marshmallow test that psychologists did in the 1960s? I think people have been doing it again, some of the talk show hosts I've seen, I think like Jimmy Fallon doing it, but basically what the marshmallow test was they would bring a four-year-old into a room and they would promise them a marshmallow. And if they could wait 20 minutes to eat that marshmallow, they would actually get two marshmallows. And then they would leave the room, they would make up some excuse about why they had to leave, and they would leave that marshmallow sitting there in front of those kids. And again, if they would wait 20 minutes, they would get a second marshmallow. Some kids obviously can wait, some kids could not. Interestingly, I read a little bit about this. Researchers followed these children into their adolescence, and it was shown that those with the ability to wait were better adjusted, more dependable, and they scored an average of 210 points higher on their SATs. So parents, try this at home today, right? <laughs> now, how would you have done at the marshmallow test? Are you willing to wait for things? Or do you want your marshmallow right now? I gotta say, I feel like I used to be pretty good at waiting. I used to be very patient, but I find as I've grown older, I'm getting a little more cranky. I get cranky when I have to stand in line at the store, which means I get cranky every time I go to the store. I remember when Amazon Prime was amazing, two days, and now I'm like, oh, two days? <laughs> but Simeon, friends, he knew how to wait well, even when things looked most bleak. He waited and waited and waited for the time God had promised when he would send relief, when he would console the people of Israel. He waited with hope and expectation like a child waiting for Christmas. 
Now, this is a good word for me today. I wonder if it's a good word for you because I feel like his longing and waiting is similar to what many of us experience this time of year, if we're honest. Many of us enter into this Christmas season and it comes around every year and we're full with different emotions, right? We have different things going on. Some of us are filled with joy. Some of us are filled with stress. And some of us are filled with sadness. All of us are probably wondering things like, how long, oh Lord, until this relationship is restored? How long until that friend or family member is healed? How long until that financial crunch is over? How long will my loneliness last? How long until my hurt is healed? How long until that struggle is over? How long until that habit is broken? How long until that sin no longer has dominion over my life? How long until I'm more like Christ? How long until there's no more terrorist bombings and shootings at schools? How long, oh Lord? We've been reminded every Sunday this month, and I've really appreciated these Advent readings. The season of Advent is a season of waiting. As God's people, like Simeon, we are waiting for what God started on this first Christmas day to complete on the last Christmas day, so to speak, when he comes not as a baby, but as he comes as a conquering king. And so it's natural for us, like Simeon, to wonder how much longer? How much longer until that day? But one of the reasons I love Simeon is he teaches us something important about waiting. Waiting is kind of like God's marshmallow test for us. It's kind of like God's marshmallow test for us. And he wants to see how we're going to live while we wait. Are we going to lose hope like so many people did? Or are we going to hold on hope? Are we going to be faithful and devout and righteous like Simeon, believing that he who promised will come again and fulfill that promise? If you're following on your notes, Simeon teaches us something important here. He never gave up, but kept trusting and hoping. It's like he's saying, even though I can't see it now, I believe God is doing something wonderful in this world, and I'm going to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it no matter how hard it is in the meantime. Even in the middle of the wait, we can remain faithful and patient and hopeful. Maybe that's all you needed to hear today. You're waiting. You're waiting for things to be made right. Take a lesson from Simeon. I know I need to. But the good news is one day Simeon's wait was over. And one day our wait will be over as well. You see, as he always does, God always fulfills his promise. So let's read verse 27 on our notes out loud loud, there. It says, moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Now we're going to pause here and I just want to say to you, here we're given one of the clearer examples in scriptures of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. This story right here is a story told a thousand times over. It's the story I shared earlier of how I came to faith. I'll bet you it's many of your stories as well. What am I talking about? Well, we're talking in this series about how the Holy Spirit works in this world to reveal Christ. And if you're following on your notes, here's what we learned from Simeon. No one comes to Christ without first being moved by the Holy Spirit. No one comes to Christ without first being moved by the Holy Spirit. To say it differently, God in the person of the Holy Spirit is the one who initiates our relationship with him. 
That's what Christmas is all about, right? God initiating a relationship with us. I tend to think that we think that faith is ultimately our choice. And while we have a role to play in that, and it's mysterious, it needs to be said today that God is always the first initiator. The Holy Spirit moved in Simeon's life to do what? To bring him to a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. That is still how the Holy Spirit works today. He's moving in our lives to bring us to an encounter with Christ. I bet you if you look back in your life and you're a follower of Jesus, you can see the different ways the Holy Spirit has moved and worked in your life to bring you to that point. Maybe he gave you parents who loved him. Maybe he surrounded you with some friends. I don't know how he worked in your life, but God is coming after us. And he does it in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is the witness of the whole Bible. He came to Adam and Eve in the garden. He came to Noah. He came to Abraham. He came to Moses. He came to the prophets. He chose the disciples. He called Paul. He came to the earth as a baby in the flesh. Why? What are we doing here? Because we couldn't go to him. We can't make the first move. Again, it doesn't mean we don't have a role to play. I'll talk about that in a second. But when it comes to waiting on God to make himself known, hear this, the Holy Spirit is always the first initiator. God always makes the first move. That's why none of us can boast. No one's gonna stand before God one day and go, oh, I chose you. No, if you're following on your notes there, our salvation is a gift. A gift is something that is given. And the Spirit always initiates it. Our salvation is a gift. The Spirit always initiates it. There's some mystery here. I understand this. We still have a role to play. There's both things involved here, but I hope this moves from your head to your heart today. You're not just writing some information on a page because what this means is that God has chosen you if you are a follower of Jesus. When I was in school, I was one of those kids that was never chosen first when guys picked the team. Believe it or not, I was really small, I was scrawny, I was shy, and I had glasses. It was terrible to always be picked last because I understood nobody really wanted me on their team. They just got stuck with me, but I want you to hear me. That's not how it is with God. He lines us up and says, I want that one. The shy one, the awkward one, the one with glasses. You come with me. And of course, we still have to respond to that, and I want to talk about that in a minute. Now, maybe Paul says this a little bit more eloquently in Ephesians 1.4. Look at this on the screen. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us. He wants you. The awkward ones, the nerdy ones, the funny ones. He wants us in a relationship, and he initiated that. Don't miss the lesson of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always the first initiator. Jesus said it this way in John 6, 44. You can see this on the screen. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. So if you notice a neighbor A friend, a child is showing interest. They're asking questions about spiritual things. You don't have to wonder if God's at work there. He's absolutely at work because that's what he does. This is what he has always done. He's always drawn people into himself. We simply step into that. 
with confidence, and we step into that believing he who began a good work is going to continue that work in their lives. Of course, our role to play in coming to know Christ, we see in the rest of this text, and Simeon shows us how. So let's close with this this morning. Three ways we respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The first way is found in verse 28, which I have on your notes there as well. Would you read that out loud? It says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord. Now, I just love this picture. The Holy Spirit has led Simeon to an encounter with Christ. And how does Simeon respond to that? This old man grabs this tiny little baby into his arms and he lifts him up. And that's how we still respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives today. If you're following, he received Jesus into his life and then he says, Lord. He received him into his life as Lord. This is the pattern we see again all throughout Scripture when God is at work. It's how he worked in my life. It's how he works in your life. The gift comes as an initiative as his grace. You didn't deserve it. You did nothing. And yet we still need to respond to it in faith and obedience. God came to Abraham. Abraham responded in faith. God came to David. David responded in faith. God came to the disciples, to Paul, and they received it in faith. Have you received the gift he offers in faith? This is what Simeon had been waiting for. His waiting's not in vain. The Holy Spirit moved in his life, and he responds to the Holy Spirit. He makes Jesus Lord. I'll just ask you right now, is the Holy Spirit moving in your life? We know these are days when people come to church who might not normally come, right? Is the Holy Spirit moving in your life right now? Is something going on in your heart? That's good news. You simply need to reach out to him, receive Christ as Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of your sin, just like Simeon did. And then I love his second response here because this is really the only response we can have when that happens. When we've truly grasped the gift that God has given us in Jesus, it says he's moved by the Spirit. He takes Jesus up in his arms. And if you're on your notes, he bursts out in worship. He praised God. I just love to picture this old man in this stodgy temple. All of a sudden, lifting up this tiny child, bursting out in song. Unashamed. Because God has done great things for him. We see this all throughout the Christmas story. Mary burst out in song. Elizabeth bursts out in song. Zechariah bursts out in song. Now Simeon bursts out in song because God has fulfilled his promise. He has come to save his people. One of my favorite memories this time of year, when I think about Christmas, when I think about growing up as a child, is every Christmas Eve, our family would go to our church, and that was one of the few times when I would go to the big service. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are forced to do that right now. I understand. Hopefully you got something to draw on. But one of my favorite memories about that is that I would always sit next to my dad. And when the time to sing came, my dad would stand up and he would sing with a loud and proud voice, even though he doesn't have the greatest voice in the world. In fact, I kind of laugh at myself now because he could never quite find the right pitch and that's how I am. I'm either bass or trying to get that high note. But man, I remember just kind of looking at him and thinking, he loves Jesus. He's willing to lift up his voice to sing praises to Jesus because he has done a great thing in his life. That's made a huge impact for me. 
I no longer have fear or shame about what people might think when I'm expressing my praise to God because he has done a great thing for me and he is worthy of my praise. Now, I want to be clear here. Worshiping God isn't just about singing. It's not just the singing portion. Paul reminds us in Romans 12, verse 1, with these familiar verses, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now read this last line with me. This is your true and proper worship. So a person who has received Jesus in this way as Lord, understanding the gift that it is, lives a life of worship, a life of obedience a life of joy. Simeon's time of waiting is done. He completed his task. He gets the marshmallow he's waiting for. Messiah is here. And so he bursts out in worship. And what is he saying? Let's look at it starting in verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant. Pause. What? All he has seen is a baby. And yet, he's ready to go home and be with the Lord. What kind of faith is this? Lord, I don't need to see this child grow up. I don't have to watch him multiply the fishes or the loaves to feed 5,000 people. I don't need to see him walk on water. I don't need to see him transfigured on the mountain. I don't need to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. I have seen all I need to see. I have seen all I need to see. Now I can die in peace. One glimpse of Christ, and Simeon is ready to go home with the Lord. What faith is that? The reason for this is clear as he continues his song. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. If you're following on your notes, he knew this baby would finally fulfill God's promise. And I love that, not just for the people of Israel, but for all people everywhere. Do you know that you are being sung about right now by Simeon in this song? A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? Anybody who's not Jewish, I'm betting that's every single one of us sitting in this room right now. Praise God. No wonder, verse 33 says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. This passage now closes with Simeon speaking some words to Mary and Joseph, and I like this. It's kind of the third idea I have here, because the Holy Spirit's work isn't just to bring us into a relationship with Christ, though that is his work. He also wants us to bring into a relationship with others. And so we see here, third response from Simeon is that he blesses and encourages others. He blesses and encourages others. Look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon understands who Jesus is. And so he encourages them, but he also speaks some truth to them. Their son is not going to be seen by everybody as salvation. In fact, there are going to be people in his life who oppose him. He will be a stumbling block because even this early, Simeon understands something about when a person encounters Christ. There can be no neutrality. He is either Lord or he is not. 
Of course, as we keep reading the Gospels, we see Jesus begin his ministry, and this is so true, right? Jesus becomes a stumbling block for people. And yet, for other people, he becomes their very salvation and life. He becomes their Lord. Some people resist him and oppose him. Some people still do today. According to Simeon, that opposition would be so great that one day, Mary would experience great pain because of it. Well, what is he talking about here? Of course, he's pointing to the day, ultimately, when Jesus would go to the cross, which was Jesus' plan all along. One of my favorite Christmas songs is called Born to Bleed. And his side would be pierced by a sword on that cross. And when his side is pierced by that sword, and his mother is standing there, you got to believe Mary remembered the words that were spoken 33 years earlier by this old faithful man in a temple when he said, you will have a sword pierce you as well. And it did. But what she didn't know at that time is that that sword would ultimately accomplish what Jesus had been sent to accomplish in the first place. You see, it was that sword that opened up Jesus' side and spilled out his blood that now offers us the redemption that we've been longing for, the forgiveness of our sins and the life everlasting. He was pierced for our transgressions, we're told. Friends, as we or wait for Christmas is almost over, two more days. I'm not going to say anything new to you here as we close. I'm going to remind you of things we need to be reminded of. And so what's Christmas all about? If you're on your notes there, Christmas is about God initiating our salvation. It's about the idea that this baby, Emmanuel, would one day grow up as God on a cross, laying down his life for you and for me, fulfilling the promises that he had spoken through generations. And so the only question for you this Christmas to really answer is not what is under the tree, but what am I gonna do with Jesus? What am I gonna do with him? Will you respond to the Holy Spirit's work in your life the same way Simeon does? Will you take him up into your arms and declare, Lord, I receive the gift that you've given to me. If you have done that, will you offer your life as worship to him? Sing joyfully praises to the Lord, but also walk in obedience and faithfulness. And then finally, will you encourage others along this journey? Because sometimes the waiting's hard, isn't it? If you're on your notes, this Christmas, will I respond like Simeon to the Holy Spirit's invitation? Will I respond like Simeon to the Holy Spirit's invitation? Will you pray with me? Lord, we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, just as you were at work in that first Christmas, you're still at work today. You still desire to bring people into a relationship with you. That's your goal. That's your agenda. That's our purpose. And so, Lord, if there's someone in this room right now who you're calling to, you're saying, I want you. Lord, break the pride that so often keeps us from receiving the gift that you've been given. Help us to humble ourselves and say, who am I, O oh Lord, that you would choose me? But that's why you came. For those of us who have done that, who know that you have done great things for us, 
Help us to set aside the stresses this Christmas, the things that distract. Let us fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Let us worship you with our mouths, but also with our lives. And remind us that we're not doing this life alone. There are those all around us every day who are hurting. They're waiting. So let us be like Simeon and let us be encouragers and those who bless. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us more and more. Not for our sake, but for your sake, oh Lord. We thank you for coming. We can't wait for you to come again. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.